0: welcome again to the executive central podcast i'm phil dobby and today inclusion and diversity lots of companies practice it and often it's simply because it seems like the right thing to do which is very noble of them but could it also improve the productivity of your business and if so how that's today on the executive central podcast and rob barmer joins me again managing director at executive central so rob Obviously, having a diverse workforce, it's a good thing for society. We want everyone to be able to find a job, irrespective of their background or their religion or their physical state. But can it be good for the company too? Can it actually improve the productivity of the business, really?
1: Well, Phil, that's a really, really good question. And um, the answer is yes, or it should be yes, mm. right? Right. Um, the the whole I would strongly say that there is a very very strong alignment to high performance cultures and uh, yeah in, in environments where there is inclusion and diversity. Right. So that's that's a, that's sort of a very high level overarching statement uh, that you can probably sense there is a but. Right. Well
0: I, but, I mean let me tell and let me guess at what that but is. I sure. suspect there's a lot of companies are just paying lip service to it. They, they talk about it, but are they doing it well or doing it right?
1: Well that and that's a good, a good guess at my butt because the the issue with inclusion and diversity and particularly the, the topic of diversity, um, and I think I've said this in previous conversations that we have, uh, there is a tendency for that term to get a bit hijacked. Mm. Um, and be taken immediately down the path of things like gender, culture, you know, generational diversity, uh, you know, sexuality, all that stuff, right? Now, th- that is part of it. And uh, I think, as, as I've probably said before, my view is that those things are really, really important. And they are things that s- dramatically increase your probability. Of having a truly diverse culture and we'll talk more about what that is in a moment uh, having true diversity or deep diversity Um, but in in and of themselves they do not guarantee high performance you know Um, so so for example the lip service comment that you're you're uh, making is I think that that's a lot around we get distracted by we need to look at you know, what's the quota of women in leadership positions or what's the mix of our cultural makeup and all that sort of stuff? And, it, yeah. and uh, I frankly think um, a lot of senior executives who, who let's let's admit, are probably male dominated, um, end up feeling, and this is probably going to be a bit controversial to say this, but they feel browbeaten. Mm. They feel like they're being told they should do this because it's the right thing to do and you're some kind of misogynistic dinosaur if you don't do this. And
0: they right? come out with that argument that, you know, better to get the best person for the job rather than applying some sort of quota system or getting uh, a person of a particular type in there because we haven't got one like that in our organisation. Yeah,
1: correct. And look, when we take... In my, look, my personal view, this is not a, this is not a company policy area. my personal view is... Um, the wrong way to go about you know getting leaders to embrace diversity is to force it down their throat and say, You're evil if you don't do this. Mm. right? Now, uh, let me change tack very quickly here. Um, I also think leaders are mad if they don't do it, yeah. right but not because not not because they're they're stupid people or anything like that for not doing it. As I come back to my point, and this is the really important link. There is a massive um, increase in probability of you having a high performance culture if you have an environment where people are able to unlock their full potential, right? That's really what we're talking about here. Mm. Um, and, and, and that means, you know, a, 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 you know, being able to work in ways that work the best for them, not just in ways that work for their more senior managers, right right and this really starts to get to the the crux of the issue is that when it comes from a leadership perspective what's in it for leaders to embrace inclusion and diversity is if you want to drive things like you know operational performance and customer focus and improve your business development results you know drive innovation uh, etc 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 if you want to do that that's the payback you know that's the end result that you get from going down the path of taking a more inclusive and a more diverse approach
0: But why is that better than me as the boss of an organization saying well I want people who are just like me because I get them I understand them and uh, and I can spot a good one against a bad one so you know because I because I understand where they're coming from
1: yeah and, and look that's the that's the easier path isn't it you know, that would be yeah. far easier if I had people that all worked like me and uh, we all immediately clicked the same way and all that sort of stuff. Little mini-me's. Yeah, yeah, little mini-me's, exactly. Um, I mean, and look, and I, and I think we're talking to a very educated audience here. We all know the reason why. You know, we all kind of get that, sure, if you've got people just like you, well, great. You'll have a dominance of the strengths that you've got. You'll have plenty of that. But every person has... I won't call them weaknesses. I'll call them consequences of overplaying their strengths. Um, so, for example, you know, if I'm a if I'm a real relationships-oriented person, which I think I am, you know, I'm I'm what we call in our language a connector style. Mm. So, if it, re, the the quality of relationships are very important to me. I need to feel that there's mutual trust, mutual liking, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Now, that's a great strength. It means I connect with lots of people. But if I overplay that strength and I'm so concerned about the status of the relationship, that's going to make it hard for me to do things like having a constructive conversation with some someone when they haven't performed well, you know, because I think, oh, they might not like me. Um, or making a tough decision that has a negative consequence for some person. I'll avoid that. Mm. Um, you know, or, and I can, I can tell you, I can list my, my, uh, my challenges all day, Phil, you know, um, I, I love being involved in things with lots of people. Uh, you know, I love brainstorming of projects. The problem is if I take on too many of those, then, you know, other stuff, other stuff starts slipping through the cracks. Now we could go around every single operating style and point out the wonderful strengths that every that those styles bring to the the organisation and the team, but we can equally point out the consequences of those strengths being overplayed, and when you surround yourselves with people just like you, mm. you dramatically magnify the chances of those strengths being overplayed. Right, and all of it. Understand,
0: understand that. So you've got to have someone who thinks differently, has a, has a different approach to try and keep you in check, and all of that makes sense. But then are we talking about diversity being a diversity in styles then, or are we talking about a diversity of, you know, where we started, gender well, and culture and, and that sort of thing? Yes.
1: And, look, I, I think I've, I've sort of made this statement in other conversations, but I think there's there's really, if I briefly recap that, you know, the, I, I describe it as there are, There is surface diversity or what you might call inherent diversity, and that's things like gender, culture, age, whatever. You know, none of us have the ability to choose that. Um, It just is, right? So um, that kind of diversity is what we've all got through no effort or decision of our own, Mm -hmm. right? Now, that's surface. The, The other type of diversity is what we call deeper diversity or deep diversity or even maybe acquired diversity, You might like to call it. That's what comes from, uh, you know. That that is comes from experience. It comes from our journey. So things like diversity of thought, diversity of style, diversity of strengths, um, you know, diversity of information that we've gathered. You know, that's the sort of deeper diversity that ultimately leads to. Higher performance, whether it's innovation, whether it's better decision making—all those things I listed. Mm. Um, you yeah. know, if I if I just quickly go, you know, to the customer side of things, because I have very strong customer orientation. You know, our customers are not all like us. You know, our customers are all diverse. So, if we want to really embrace and offer opportunities for all customer types, then yeah, you know, sending the one same salesperson out who's got their particular approach isn't going to work for a whole bunch of people. It'll work for some, but it'll, it won't work for others. So that it's that deeper diversity that we're talking about here, Phil, and that's the thing that actually links to the higher performance that we're after.
0: But if you've got a very diverse workforce, are they necessarily going to work well together? If they come from such different backgrounds, have got such a different way of thinking about things, how do you stop it all not just becoming uh, you know, almost like turf wars uh, where people are fighting to have their opinions heard against against everybody
1: else's? Uh, yes, great question. And this is, this is uh, what this this. Every so often I come this. out with a great question. Oh, it's a cracker, a cracker of a question. <laughs> um, this is what really makes this whole inclusion and diversity issue for leadership, you know, for leaders, a tough thing. This yeah. is tough, mm. right? Um, Because by definition, diversity in and of itself means difference. And that means, you know, if if a leader is going to have an inclusive and diverse environment or culture around them, their way of thinking, their way of doing things is going to be challenged. And that puts a lot back on the leader. So a leader to be able to operate in that environment, you know, has got to be able to be strong enough, uh, confident enough and, and resilient enough to allow that to happen. Um, let people challenge them, you know, and we, we hear about challenges, not just challenge. Let people go about things in a way that might not be the way they go about it. Um, that's really tough, and that is what, in my experience, you know, does require people to have a bit of support as they're being, you know, as they're moving into sort of more senior roles along the way. Um, so, you know, that element for leadership is is a big reason why Having, I think, the support of, for example, a coach is incredibly important because there is always, always going to be another scenario, whether it's with a staff member, a peer, a, a, a boss, a customer that challenges you from that diversity point of view um and and that's 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 the tough part that uh you know that's if you like that's why they pay you the big bucks when you're in the senior roles
0: yeah that's right (laughs) don't take the easy road because the complicated road has a better outcome absolutely so what so how does this change the culture of an organization then because when you you know when you've got that sort of top-down very dominant uh boss uh who's employing people just like him or just like her probably just like him, if we're talking about the olden days, uh, then the culture of the organisation is, is very much dependent on that individual, isn't it? So how is that changing the culture of an organisation when you've got a this sort of like moving feast of different cultures and attitudes? Exactly. Well,
1: if we look at that term culture, you know, uh, what is a culture? Well, culture is essentially, it, or maybe I'll look at it this way, the, an individual's perception of the culture. Hmm. Uh, yeah, their experience of a culture is essentially what they see happening around them and the way we do things around them every day in the workplace. And, you know, there's been a, an awful lot of stuff written and research done on culture and things like that. And um, consistently, the, the, the findings are the biggest contributor to an individual's experience of the culture in the workplace is their manager. And let me be specific about that. It's the way their manager behaves and or the behaviour that that manager tolerates or allows or encourages in that workplace. Now, so I'm talking about an individual's direct manager here. It's yeah. not the only. It's the. It's not the only driver of their experience of the culture, but it's the dominant one. So, um, if you this is where uh, again you know people organisations spend millions of dollars doing cultural assessments and trying to improve their culture, and that you know, and rightly. So the, the senior executives will, you know, try and bring about initiatives and focus items and things like this. If you want, if you want though to uh, change a culture, you must be getting uh, the behaviour of managers at all levels aligned around the culture that you want. Mm. Um, and I, again, we've said this in previous discussions. But when you look at it just from a pure numerical point of view. 70 to 75 percent of all of the employees in a large organization are reporting to a frontline manager that's just the you know the, the, the pyramidical nature of the of the organizational structure so it's those frontline managers who are having the biggest impact yeah. on someone's experience of 70 percent of the people in that organization's experience of the culture so you cannot ignore that level uh, if you want to change the culture
0: right hence the need for coaching at at that level. And I guess, you know, everybody within an organization when we talk about inclusivity, it is just that, isn't it? People want to belong. When you when you go to work, it's a big chunk of your life. So you want to feel as though you belong. And if you're surrounded by people with a with a mix of attitudes, that's great for the company, but you've somehow got to pull all of those people together so that they all feel as though they belong. It's very easy to feel as though you belong if you're in a in a company where everyone's just like you. But when you're you you're going down this road, creating that sense of belonging again i guess it falls on the the role of the frontline manager to create that that sense of belonging
1: yeah it does well look you know this really takes us right back to some of the basics if you think of maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah you know, back in, in the basics of psychology you know i tend to describe the middle level of the five levels of that um which that's the level of belonging right um now that is kind of the transition the crossover level where people move out of that sort of survival mentality of you know how do I just exist and survive, um, and start moving up into the higher levels of you know self-esteem and self-actualization, and, and so when we talk about people being able to unlock their full potential, they're not going to do that if they're operating down in the bottom levels of Maslow, where it's just I'm I'm fighting to survive here. Mm. Um, they need to they need to be up in those higher levels. They can't get to the higher levels of self-esteem and self-actualization, unless they feel belonging. And that's why this inclusion, uh, part of the inclusion and diversity discussion is so critical. If people don't belong, there's no way you're going to get them up into those high levels of being and therefore you're not going to get there. The best version of themselves, which is is what we're really after.
0: And I guess you are going to get a greater sense of belonging if you're achieving, and you're going to feel as though you've achieved more if you're in an organisation which does have a diverse workforce. Where to to get ideas across, to sort of to to win with ideas, you have to convince a lot of people of of mixed backgrounds. That's a lot more satisfying than just trying to convince everyone who already thinks like you. So you're going to get a, a greater sense of belonging out of that, aren't you?
1: Well, you are, and but you said the key word there. You're going to you're going to feel uh like you want to stay in an organization that a you belong in and b that is achieving something yeah and this brings us back to this is actually all about performance um this is not a you know in my view it shouldn't be a discussion about oh you know this is the right thing to do it is the right thing to do by the way that mm-hmm. it is but at the end of the day what's in it for leaders to invest in inclusion and diversity is the A performance the high performance of their organization and further the future proofing of their organization how that organization continues to innovate and and reinvent itself and re-energize itself is all driven by whether people are, you know are inclined to want to do that um and that's what we're really talking about here phil right very good. Makes
0: perfect sense. Well, let's hope uh, more organizations embrace it and uh, and see the benefits from it. And uh, you've given us some great insights today, as always. Thanks, Rob.
1: Thanks, Phil. Talk to
0: you again soon. And you know what? There, there is something about these podcasts. There's something about Rob that makes me feel better coming out of the podcast than he did on the way in. I don't know what it is about him. Uh, that is it for this edition of the Executive Central Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby, and we'll be back again for another one very soon. Thanks for listening.